I got I, I got robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, which really basically f***ed me off. So I had something to prove. When you got something to prove, it makes it, you a different fighter. I fought quit because of the the way that it was going, you know. I think he, he was still out of it. And I think he didn't know what, I didn't think where he knew where he was at at that moment. So you saying he quit? I think that he quit. I said, I said, Durante a great fighter. He fighting 130 pounds. <laughs> no, he said he'll beat my what? He'll beat my what? He's a great fighter. Fight 130. I think he beat Lemachico. Allegedly, he said that you left him in a bloody pope. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. he was high. It says that uh, y'all was on his private jet or something like that. Y'all was Whoa. Yeah, that was pretty serious. So one of the things I hear a lot, probably too much for my own liking, is. It takes a lot of heart, a lot of guts, a lot of courage to, to step through the ropes when it comes to boxing. I don't think that's true. I'll explain why I don't think that's true. Boxing is like a, like a massive funnel, right? There are the millions of people that watch it. And of those millions, thousands will then go to a boxing club. And of those thousands, a subset will say, I enjoy this enough to get in the ring and spar, right? So by this point, you've kind of pre-selected a certain level of desire. Not bravery, desire. Now, of, of those people who spar, some will like it, some won't like it. That's not to say that they're scared. They just don't like it. Right? So by the time you've worked your way up the levels, the people you see on your TV screen fighting, either as an amateur or a pro, have shown that they can habitually step through the ropes. It's a habit, not a demonstration of bravery. Because if it were a demonstration of bravery, they would be brave in all situations. Bravery isn't like, it's not contextual. It's not situation specific. You're either brave or you're not. So the problem you have in Britain is we always talk about bottle and arsehole and no one really understands how that holds back the sport. Now, I love the American idea of the dog. Because in America, the dog is different. The dog isn't brave for stepping through the ropes. The dog is, wherever it happens, I'm going to be your problem until you give up on me. I am not quitting. Not only am I not quitting, I'm coming after you for every second with everything I've got. We, we don't value that quality in the UK. We really, really don't. And I'm talking from a coaching perspective and uh kind of from the sport i know the fans do because that's what the fans love but from a sport we don't because a lot of coaches get scared by it because they don't have it and like i said to you before you don't have to be a particularly brave guy to box a lot of people aren't that brave I'm not saying that they're not tough they're not that brave it's a habit if if i made you spar every day for the rest of your life you'd never be scared to go in a ring even if you hated it you might just go, actually, I don't want to do this anymore, which is fair enough. So I say all of that just to say, Javante Davis is the epitome of what a dog is. He, he's a pit bull in human form. Um, maybe one of those, what do they call them? Like a game cock. You know the, the ones they have fighting in Thailand where they have like 50 times the testosterone per, per milliliter of blood that humans do. They're absolutely insane levels of bravery there. They're, I don't want to say fearless, that's not the word. They're relentless, they're tenacious, they don't quit. And that's what you saw with Javante Davis on, 
on Saturday, as you do with every fight. And one thing you have to say about Tank is this. He's fan-friendly. If so, if, remember when he came to the UK to fight one of the Walsh brothers? I think it was Liam Walsh. My friend Martin Theobald said it perfectly. We got tickets for that because we understood we were getting to see someone special before they became a global boxing superstar. And even when he fought Liam Walsh, you could see the dog was there. And it's, it's not about that, brave, that bravery or that arsehole that people talk about. I don't really, like I said, that's, ignore that. That's nonsense. It's, it's what people do to try and sound important in the sport. It's that he will walk you down. Whoever you are, Tank Davis will walk you down. Whether you're four inches taller, ten it doesn't matter. He will walk you down because he doesn't know how to go backwards. That's the definition of a dog. And against Mario Barrios, you saw this. Barrios is no clown, by the way, right? He's, he's not a mug. He's not an idiot. He's not second rate. You know, trained by Virgil Hunter. He, he had something to him. I'm not going to say... You know, you're not going to see him in Canasota or anything. You know, he's not going to be in any Hall of Fame. But he's someone who, if he fought for a title at 140, you wouldn't cry about it. You know, I can see how it's happened. And it's not that Tank played with him because that's not what Tank does. But it took everything Barrios had to stay standing for as long as he did because Tank was just going after him. And there's nothing more impressive than watching that dog and we got to see two of them on Saturday. Not just Tank, but Loma. And we'll touch on Loma in a minute. But you can't teach that. That's when you're fighting something deep inside of you. There's something that burns in you that was there before you stepped in a ring. And boxing gives you an outlet to almost exorcise those demons. And that's what you see with Tank. It was a, I'm going to say it was a hell of a performance. It was a hell of a result. And it was the performance that you want. If you're a fan and you're paying money to watch someone, Tank Davis is who you'd want to pay to watch, right? Because you're not going to be bored. Could he sit there and be a counterpunch and be clever and be cute? 1,000%. But there's nothing better than seeing a short guy walking down the bigger guy and just having the bigger guy nervous going, oh, this is relentless. I, I need it to stop, but I know it's not going to stop until the bell rings. And I think that, that cumulative pressure is what kind of it kind of helped Barrios realize that maybe I'm in over my head here. Maybe I'm not quite world level because I don't have this level of dog in me. And when you watch Tank, there's something old school about him. There's something that, that evokes memories of those guys from the late 70s, early 80s. You know, those fights that we all enjoyed. I'm not going to say he's a Sugar Ray Leonard or Duran because he's not, like the sport's moved on. But he's got that essence where they were never satisfied to box for the result. Um, sorry, to box for the decision. They always wanted to fight for that definitive outcome. And that's what Tank tries to do. And you have to give him credit for that. As you do Loma. I think Loma's got that, that same thing about him. That makes me a fan. My only worry with Tank, and it'll be interesting to know what other people think is, it feels like they're building him the way they built Broner, where it's about how many different weight classes he can be a champion in, you know, because some of those belts are questionable. But they're doing this. I'd rather they just stabilized him at a certain weight and allowed him to dominate. 
and then you kind of pick and choose what fights make sense on top of that. I this this sort of random hopping around between weights. I, I'm not feeling it at the moment because I don't think Tank's consolidated at one weight class yet, and I'd love to see him do that because I think he can do that. So it's it's hard not to be a Lomachenko fan now. Whether, whether you swing all the way around the scale and you say he's the greatest thing you've ever seen, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's some youngsters who've never seen anyone do that. And I, I get it for them, Loma may be their guy, but I've seen too much to fall in love with it. It's kind of like that Eminem thing, isn't it? Where people were saying Eminem's the greatest rapper ever. But his music hasn't aged very well, has it? And I think because of the nature of his kind of course and you know, less than palatable lyrics over the years. A lot of his songs can't be played on the radio now. We're just in a different social climate. And I've never been convinced that he's one of the all-time greats. I always thought he was fun and he was exciting and, you know, he was good at what he did without being spectacular. And I feel the same about Loma. And yeah, on Saturday, he got the ninth-round stoppage against Nakatani, who Teofimo Lopez struggled against. And Loma looked good. He looked at like the old Loma. But here's the, here's the truth. And this is where I see parallels between Loma and Tank. Loma's a dog. Like, he's spiteful. He's horrible. And he'll rub your face in it. He's not that, he hasn't got that raw kind of Baltimore aggression that Tank has. That real street aggression. But he's got a similar thing where he's got that spite and that malice. But he does it in a more considered way, no less effective, but it's that really considered way where he'll break you down and he almost beats you to a point where you're just looking for a way out. But it's a massive caveat and these guys have a lot more in parallel than just having that, that, that sort of that dog mentality. What they're both really good at is dominating the right side. Right? They just, they're really, really good at moving to their right. They disguise it really well, but if you look at Tank, Tank's best efforts are when he moves to the right. And then by the time you figure it out and you're like, oh, let me stop him, Tank's not afraid to come back down the middle. So if you look at when he dropped Barrios with that right hook, his right foot stepped right in between Barrios's lead foot and back foot. He came, he came the opposite way, actually. He went from right to left. Barrios goes, what the hell is he doing? And so he's looking at the feet, and out of that peripheral view, that right hook just hits him. Bam! Uh, who used to throw that really well? Roy Jones threw that punch really, really well. And I, when, I, when I look at Tank and Loma, because I think those two need to fight, I get the sensation I did as a kid when Tony was fighting Roy Jones, where you had that one guy who, who was a throwback, and then you had the super athlete who did all this crazy stuff in training and was good at multiple sports. And you've got that same contrast here. I think the only difference is, well, actually, don't forget that Tank and Tony also have issues outside the ring. But I think the main difference here actually is that Tank can do a bit more of the, of the Roy Jones stuff, the kind of explosive, you know, those leaping hooks and so forth. But it was good to see Loma be a bit more surgical, but it's that, it's that drift to the right that makes it hard for opponents. Because you could see with Nakatani that as soon as Loma moved out to the right, 
Nakatani's energy was moving him from left to right. So his energy is pulling him from left to right. Loma's moving from his left to his right, which is giving Loma the dominant position every time. And that's very important because when we come on to talk about Teofimo, I'll explain to you why, you know, don't be misled by what you saw on Saturday night. So Loma does this thing, breaks him apart, and people talk immediately about the rematch of Teofimo Lopez. Almost as if we don't want to believe that Lopez won that fight and definitely won the first six rounds comfortably. You know, the other six, you know, we can debate, but definitely won those first six comfortably. And here's Loma's problem. He lost the six rounds not because of the shoulder. The shoulder was fine. Because he used the shoulder in the second half of the fight. His issue was Loma didn't give him the space he normally likes. It's almost like, and I, I said it at the time after the fight, it's like Team Loma had studied, not Team Loma, Team Lopez had studied a Loma heat map and just said to Teofimo, put yourself in these positions every time and Loma won't know what to do. And that's what he did. It was only when Teofimo started to almost believe that he was winning this through just sheer ability and he stopped doing that, that Loma came into the fight. Every time Teofimo Lopez was drifting left, Loma couldn't do anything. It was the same with Linares. When Linares drifted left, Loma couldn't do anything. If you stop Lomachenko going to his right, he's half the fighter. So I don't think, based on that performance, Teofimo is worried about the rematch. I think Teofimo is now more confident and will be more disciplined in dominating that left side. And I think it might be an easier one for Teofimo because he definitely holds the power advantage. And Lomachenko will know that. You know? And like we said, if one shoulder was injured, cool. But he was getting hit on both sides. So, you know, what about the other side? But, but overall, I think those two guys, I'm going to call them half of the, the four kings. Those two guys are miles ahead of the rest. I think... You know, they're more grounded, they're more fundamentally sound. You know, Devin, Devin and Ryan are more athletes, you know, snappy, reflex guys, in and out. And skills pay the bills at the end of the day. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true. I don't, I think, hmm, I don't even know how to put it. At this point, I'd quite like to see Haney fight Garcia, the winner fight Lomachenko, and the winner of that fight, Teofimo Lopez. That's what I'd like to see. I don't think we'll get that just because, you know, different sides of the street. But it was good to see those two guys come out and restore our faith in exciting boxing. Something we've been starved of a lot in the United Kingdom. So kudos to Sky for getting that on for us. But let's just switch gears for a second and let's talk about DAZN. Because I'm, I'm still confused. If you go back to to a lot of the Hearn interviews that he gave. And he said the reason why he had to go all in with the zone was they were more receptive to his image, uh, his vision, sorry, of matchroom creating content, shoulder content, this, that, and the third. You know, you can tell he listens to the podcast. I'm, I'm, I, I stand by this, man. I, I'm one of his sources of inspiration. But he says, look, Sky won't let me do what I wanted to do. I offered them a situation where I could do more of what I wanted to do. They didn't want to do that. We went our separate ways. At that point, I was like, okay, Hearn's got a backlog of things he's going to introduce. And we're going to be like, wow. 
he's so forward thinking, right? That, that, that's what I thought. I assumed that. And then I'm looking at the wider design piece and I'm seeing that they've now got the co-CEO who's more of a tech slash gaming guy. And I'm like, okay, I see where this is going now. Dazone want to be a tech company that also does sport. Cool. I like the, I like the mix. Can you get the right propositions in? Can you get the, the in-fight chat? Can you get the in-fight voting to work out, you know, who the fans think won each round? You can do all of this stuff, right? It's not hard. Especially if it's your own app. So I'm like, okay, I like this. In-game, in-fight, in-game, in-race, betting, whatever they want to do, you can do all of this, right? You build a whole tech proposition around your boxing. I get that. And it's, it's, that's exciting. That's not Hearn, by the way. That's zone going, we need to get this money back somehow, right? Eddie's job is to deliver that, that top-notch boxing content. So we're now thinking, okay, Hearn is off the leash now. Sky were holding him back. That's the impression he gave. They were the, the millstone around his neck. Cool. So what do we see? Do we see any major new signings? Nah. Any news? No Charlo? No. In fact, you're losing guys. You've lost Usyk. You've lost this guy. You've lost that guy. You might even lose Joshua White and Chisora. So there's nothing really fresh in terms of the stable. Okay. Fine. Maybe you've got some new ideas. And then he hits us with fight camp. This is all stuff you guys can verify. So this isn't me hating. This is stuff you can verify, right? He hits us with fight camp. We saw that last year. Apart from the Povetkin fight, it wasn't really all that. Tell me if I'm wrong. It wasn't all that. You know, we had, we had Harper Jonas, if I remember. Maybe Courtney Ball. That's about it. And they weren't even meant to be the fights that stole the show. I know you're going to talk about the Cheeseman fight. Yeah, okay. But Fight Camp wasn't the panacea of great boxing that we thought it would be. So he rehashes that. But that was on Sky. And then we see the, the announcing team. And you're like, okay, Mike Costello. He's, he's new blood. But Mike Costello, they've been priming him for this matchroom role. And you know that because he became less and less critical of matchroom and Eddie Hearn over the years. Before, they used to be super critical. And... Him and Bunsey would call it down the line when it came to Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. And then he started to soften because he knew that there might be an opening. Do I, would I replace Adam Smith with Mike Costello? Never in a million years. Do not tweet me anything to say, well, I, I don't care what you think. Yeah. Put the phone down. Yeah. Close Twitter. Don't even bother responding to that. I wouldn't replace Mike Costello for Adam Smith. And here's why. You're not getting anything different. You're just not. I don't enjoy Mike Costello's commentary style in any sport. It's just, it's quite whiny. And he's like that in person. I that I don't like him as a person. His style doesn't work for me. At least with Adam Smith, like, yeah, he's going to tell you what someone did in their Duke of Edinburgh award. Okay, fine. You know, we can make fun of that. But he calls it pretty well, to be honest with you. I don't think, I don't really think he was a problem. And if he was, you'd just get Nick Halling back, right? That's what you'd get. You'd get Nick back. So the Mike Costello thing for me, meh, that's not, I'm not sold on that. And then we've got Laura Woods. Will she bring the talk sport audience in? I've always had the impression they tolerate her in talk sport as opposed to really, you know, being fans of hers. They just tolerate her because she happens to be next to people the, the audience are fans of, but I can't verify that. 
That's just my view. And then there's my jammer on there as well. A woman who actually says she doesn't watch boxing unless it's Anthony Joshua. And there are rumors around those two anyway, but that's for another time. So them not having boxing knowledge, I can kind of take. But they strike me as being pretty mediocre appointments. I'm sure they could have found more famous people who are boxing fans. When I look at Maya Gemma's Instagram and I go, okay, how real is her, is her data? And she's on 2.1, 2.2 million followers. And she's getting 200,000 likes per post, right? That's an engagement factor of 10%. Instagram do not allow that. If you don't believe me, go and look at David Beckham, the most famous English person you can think of right now, right? He doesn't get that. His engagement scores one and a half, two percent And he's really famous. Maya Jammer does Beyonce numbers, not Beyonce engagement numbers, Beyonce numbers in terms of likes. Does that make sense to you? Of course not. And now she's plugged into this matchroom engine. You can expect them to boost those even more to make out they've got the most popular presenter in Britain doing their show. And they'll do that. And she won't mind that because she's grifting too. This is a grift for her. If she can get that DAZN marketing budget behind her name, it might take her somewhere else. But her career seems to have stalled because you can only be young and attractive for so long before you've got to turn that into something that's sustainable. I think Laura Woods is more of a journalist and I get where she's coming from. And she's handled characters like you're going to get around boxing. So I see that one. I just don't see that as being a boost for numbers. And it's not an upgrade on Anna Woolhouse, unfortunately, is it? So, so far, no real innovation, right? Nothing, nothing radically different. Then you've got Bellew, you know, the, the loyal company soldier. Darren Barker, even more of a loyal company soldier. Chris Lloyd, this guy that no one really knows, right? Just literally came out of nowhere. And I remember someone asking him, so all this knowledge you talk box about when it comes to boxing, where did you get it from? And he's like, yeah, I've been sparring for a couple of years or whatever it was he was saying. And then someone said, well, who? Who were you sparring? Couldn't think of any names. No video footage of it. Okay, cool. All right, Chris Lloyd, do your thing. But these are, it's all much of a muchness. And so you look at that zone proposition, you go, what's radically different here? The answer is nothing. Because the truth is, Hearn was able to dictate terms to Sky. There's no way he could have done the zone deal if he wasn't the guy holding the whip hand for a while. And so they let him do his thing and it didn't work. Now he's taken his ball and gone to zone and said, well, I'll show you. Not with that proposition, you won't. So that's my concern with zone: is that they had a chance to be radically different. They chose not to. They're not going to get my money. But it's not me they're after. It's the casual. But the casual's never going to pay. And it'll get to a fiver a month. They're never going to pay a fiver a month to watch mediocre matchroom cards. Like, they're not stupid, for God's sake. So that's not going to happen. I just realized I could sign off pretty quickly here. But I just wanted to run around just some of the, just some of the stories that have been entertaining in boxing. I think the, the whole Nonito Donaire, John Riel, Casimero thing that seems to take on a life of his own. Now, number one, Nonito Dene getting his wife to handle his beef, I think, is hilarious. But you can't question his toughness, can you? Um, so what was that fuss about? It was simply about who was going to enroll in Vada, who had enrolled in Vada, who had done this, who had done that. 
and they weren't happy that Casemiro hadn't enrolled in Varda, which he subsequently had and had been part of the WBC clean boxing program for about four years. But we're all ignoring the elephant in the room, and this is why, in a lot of ways, I despise boxing, right? You have a man, Nonito Donaire, in, an, in, a, in a small man division, right, where careers are generally pretty short. They start young and they end young. At 38 years old, this guy's having an Indian summer, maybe a Filipino summer, like putting hands on people for fun, and no one's questioning whether he's taking some of the happy juice, do you know what I mean? And that worries me that people are just willing to accept it because he's a nice guy. Like, Nonito Dene gets a pass because he's a nice guy. Too many times in boxing, we don't question the nice guys, but we're happy when the big bad monster like Jerome Miller gets caught. And there's value, I guess, in being the nice guy and hoping that no one is observing your, your patterns of behavior because I remember Dene getting schooled and slapped about by Rigondeaux. And you don't hear him calling for a rematch. Because he's probably thinking Rigondeaux's on the same happy juice that he's on. So there's no advantage. I'm not saying Donaire's on drugs. What I am saying is, if someone ticks all the boxes for being a drug user, my suspicions would be Nonito Donaire. Now, I can't verify that. But if I was Vada, I would be testing him every day. Let's see how different he would look. But I don't know how I feel about all this social media pettiness back and forth your wife, your sister, your uncle, your granddad getting involved in all of that. It's, it's getting stupid now. I remember the days when people said fights don't get made on social media. I wish that was still true. Sadly, I just think, you know, the lunatics have taken over the asylum when it comes to social media. And to be honest, I have no interest in Onito Donaire anymore. Once, once I realized this guy is probably just, I mean, just pumping gas, man. I was just like, no, thank you. You know, show me someone else. Show me someone on the way up. I'll happily watch them. But Onito Donaire... Thanks, but no thanks. What else has been happening? Charles Martin's been calling out Dillian White. Interesting fight, actually. I don't know who wins that. They're... Dillian might be too busy for Charles Martin because Charles is quite relaxed, but he gets to you. Like He doesn't look like he's hurting people, but he seems to get to them. No idea how, but he seems to just have this weird pace that is consistent round after round, and if you start getting tired on Charles Martin, he will get to you. And we know Dillian does get tired. Now, I'm not sure if Dillian's much good against Southpaws. I don't know. That telegraph right hand might be hard to land, but I quite like Dillian. Like I said, he's another guy. He's old school. And I'd like to see Dillian fight for world title. Why can't Dillian fight the winner of Joshua Usyk? If Usyk wins, let him fight Dillian for the belt. Dillian deserves that, if nothing else. Because it seems that WBC are never going to let him fight for that belt. And he could risk wasting his whole career trying to prove a point that he doesn't need to prove. I think Dillian's the guy who should fight for a world title. Joseph Parker has, for God's sake. Andy Ruiz has, for goodness sake. And they're not better than Dillian. They're really not better than Dillian. So I really want him to get his shot. Hopefully Joshua gives it to him. And then we can, you know, we can finally put that one to bed. And then, trying to think, for you guys who, who love a good fight, I don't know if anyone caught this fight, but it was Umar Sadiq's good mate, um, Effie Apoche, versus a guy called Brandon Glanton. I don't think you're going to see a better fight than that this year, and you will not see a better cruiserweight fight than that for a long, long time. You essentially had two guys 
And to be honest, Glanton looked like a giant in there compared to Apochi. But wow. It's basically 10 rounds of two guys trading. First half of the fight, Glanton tries to do the hands up thing, countering, you know, hooks and uppercuts on the inside. And it looked good. And as he got tired, they just decided to have a war. Because now when I look at these cruiserweights, I'm always looking going, what would Isaac do in these situations? And those two guys would be perfect opponents for Isaac Chamberlain. They'd be perfect opponents for most British cruiserweights, except for Okoli, who's too tall. And I have a feeling Okoli would have an easy night against both those guys, just for his sheer size and strength. But I'd like to see some of our smaller cruiserweights jump in with guys like this. You know, guys who, who come to fight, they're not elite, but they're hard men and they're hard working and they will always deliver that level of output. And it'll be about whether the British guys have that dog in them to, to match it. And I was just really impressed with that fight. If you can find that on YouTube, even the highlights are worth it. Effie Apochi versus Brandon Glanton. Insanely good fight. Um, same card, I think it was Ericsson Lubin as well. Insanely good fight. Once again, Al Heyman delivers. And he doesn't deliver by accident. Heyman delivers. You know, look, he rebuilt Lubin. And now Lubin's back being a contender. Like, if I wanted my career managed by someone, it would honestly be Al Heyman, for that reason alone. You know, I read earlier that Terence Crawford's going to fight some guy called Zepeta to defend his world welterweight title. And then I had to realize Zepeta's like a, what's he, 140-pounder? So it's another Crawford classic. Bring someone up from the weight class below, beat them up, then say you're number one pound for pound. Even though, if we're being honest, Crawford has the most hollow CV of any pound for pound boxer there. It is hollow, 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 hollow. He's been at 147 for how many years now? No names on that record we care about. None. Um, this is how bad it is, right? Kel Brook, probably going to retire. Amir Khan, probably going to retire. Um, Benavidez Jr., we haven't seen for about three years. So Crawford's basically fighting stiffs and no one's got the courage to admit that. And I love Terence Crawford. I think he's legit. I think he's got that dog and that malice in him. But strip all the nonsense aside, strip all the tweets and all the supposed experts telling you what you're supposed to think. Ignore them for a second and go, Crawford hasn't fought any of the welterweights we consider to be on that list. He hasn't fought a Thurman. He hasn't fought a Porter. He hasn't fought a Danny Garcia. He hasn't fought a Mikey Garcia. He hasn't fought Pacquiao. He hasn't fought Errol Spence. Spence is about to fight Pacquiao. Crawford's been left out. And yes, his pound-for-pound ranking should reflect the fact that he's been frozen out. And until he fights these guys, man, he's not relevant at 147. He took his belt off Jeff Horn, for God's sake. Didn't Jeff Horn lose to the stripper that Kell Brook beat? I don't know. But what I will say about Crawford is go back and look at his record and you tell me five really impressive wins on his record you'll struggle guy's 33 years old there's no excuse now I, I just I'm bored of it until he leaves Bob and goes to Al Crawford's irrelevant to me for that reason his record is hollow and on the subject of Pacquiao so I see Pacquiao's getting sued now because he was meant to fight Mikey Garcia Jesus these boxers don't care and then Tyson's getting sued by Triller because they paid, they, they paid Tyson 25 mil. They reckon Tyson saw 15 million. So Mike's now going, where the hell's the rest of the money? And like the Triller CEO, I think it's like Rick, Rich Kavanagh, 
has basically shown receipts. He said, no, we sent money to, to your company, Mike. So you tell me where the money is. And I, I, I hope Mike's not getting robbed again, man. Like Not in his 50s like he did in his 20s. You know, <laughs> can someone protect Mike Tyson from himself, please? Because we don't want to see Mike lose more money. Because that Triller thing was good for him. But the sum total of it is, if he fights Holyfield, it's going to have to be on Triller. Because I think they've got the contractual rights. And they've definitely got Holyfield in their pocket. So that's where the fight's going to have to happen. Do I want to see it? It's better than anything DeZone are going to offer, so why not? I just won't pay, I just won't pay $50 for it, though. But look, I want to sign off now because... Unlike you guys who'd have probably already seen the football when this comes out, I need to get myself psychologically prepared for the football. You know, got to, it's all about the small details. And we're all hoping that England perform, that they win, and that this tournament continues for us because it's rare we get to do it on home soil. So let's make the most of it while we can. And here is to England. Proud to support them. Looking forward to it. Whatever team they put out, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to say, look, go out there and win. And if they don't perform, tune into Radio 5 immediately after the game if England gets smashed for the Chris Waddle rant, because those are epic, by the way. So I'm just going to sign off on that and say, take care and we'll speak soon. Okay, bye.